The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I am... I am excited for our, our time together um, today, and um, listen, before we get, start, get started, a, uh, a good man admits when he's wrong. Last week, I stood on this stage, and before we started into our text, I talked about the fact that it might snow, and then I kind of laughed at it. <laughs> Having lived here for so long, thought there's no, oh, come on, people. My kids were upset with me that I made that, by the way. And then what do you know? My goodness, I was wrong. Right after the service ended, my family and I, we were, we were sitting, we were eating lunch, and then it just came down. Like, not even a wintry mix. It was like legit snow. I, 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 so I confess. I was wrong. I was wrong, and my kids were so glad that I, I was wrong. Um, no snow in the forecast today, though. <laughs> Welcome to San Antonio, right? Um, grateful for this morning, and um, there's something so good and so rich about what we get to do each and every week. As we get to come to God's Word like this each and every week, my, my prayer this week has been all week long that, that God would, would be preparing the soil for our time together. Uh, First and foremost in my own heart, but for all of us, for everyone in this room, everyone listening, watching online, that God would be preparing the soil for his his work. So wherever you are in your walk with with Jesus, wherever you are physically, whether you're here in this room or joining us online, um, that has been my prayer, and I'm grateful you're here. Um, We get to look at a really popular text today. We get to look at a text that I am assuming um, that many of you have not only heard of, but many of you in a moment in your life have related to. Highly relatable uh, text. And before we get to this, I'm going to read it all, then we'll pray, then we'll get to work. But before we get to it, I did want to ask you one question up front to kind of frame uh, our time together this morning. So I have one question. Here it is. Are you a saint or are you a sinner? Hypothetically, if someone were to ask you this question, how would you respond? You don't have to answer out loud, but think about it. How would you respond? Maybe you know your answer, but then how would you defend your answer? How would you respond if someone were to ask you, are you a saint or are you a sinner? We're going to think about this together today. Um, And so having asked that, let that kind of marinate on you a little bit while, um, while I read this text and then we'll pray and we will, we'll get to, we'll get to work. So let me, let me read this text for us. Uh, By the way, I'm biting off a big chunk Bear with me. We won't be here all day, okay? Uh, Here we go. Romans 7. We're going to start in verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what was good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might 
become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law in my inner being. But I see my members, another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord so that I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But my flesh, with my flesh I serve the law of sin. God, what a gift this is. What a joy this is. Your word is a gift and it is a joy and it is given to us so that we can know you, that we can know Jesus, that we can know the truth about ourselves, about this world, about you and about our salvation and our life in you. What a gift and we thank you for this gift. Help us this morning as we unpack it together. Would you comfort and encourage those who are hurting and broken? Would you convict the proud? Would you be with us this morning? We thank you and we pray that you are honored and that you are glorified with our time here today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Uh, As you can tell, we got a lot of ground to cover. Um, Typically here at Stone Oak, we bite off a lot smaller chunks than this. Uh, But as as we walked through that, you can probably see that there is some common themes throughout this whole thing. Common themes throughout the whole, the, this whole text. So, um, and, and by the way, it's also going to roll really nicely out of what we've talked about the last couple weeks. Um, so to get us caught up, Paul has, has just reminded us, and we looked at this two weeks ago, Paul has just reminded us that, that Jesus is not something that can just be kind of added on to our life. It's not, he's not something that can just be like stapled on to our, to our life. The Christian life is not the life that we just want to live the way we want to live, just like the world around us. We chase after all the world chases. We value all the world values. We believe all that the world believes and do all that the world does, and then staple Jesus to it. Like we, we talked about a couple weeks ago that, that that's not an option, that's not the life that Jesus, Jesus is not willing to be the add-on so that you can kind of live your best life today. That's, that's not the offer of the gospel. Instead, Jesus wants all of you, and in exchange, gives you all of him. 
And, and that is an incredible deal. <laughs> Jesus is everything. And Paul reminds us, look, look, the call is to come to Jesus. And, and as Paul says, to die to the law, to die to ourselves. Because as we were reminded, our relationship with the law, with the flesh, was till death do we part. Till death do we part. And so Paul says, until you die, you are still bound. You are still happily married. And so as we saw, the pathway to life is through death. First and foremost, the death of Jesus who died on your behalf. But second, let's remind ourselves that it is our own death, the death that we die to the flesh, to our sin daily. The pathway to life is through death. And last, last week we looked at specifically Paul calls us to die to the law. And so we asked the question, we asked, well, what does that mean? If we're supposed to die to the law, is the law the problem? Is that the issue? Is it the law that is the problem? Well, Paul answered that last week in our text when he says, by no means. And then he says, the law is not the problem. You're the problem. My paraphrase. You're, you're the problem. And the law is just this like mirror that just reveals what was already there in you. That's what the law is. So the law is not, let me summarize this. The law is not the problem with your sinful heart. Your sinful heart is the problem with your sinful heart. That's what we looked at last week. And that's why Paul starts in verse 13 with kind of a summary. It says, did that which is good then bring death to me by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what was good. That's the law. In order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandments might become sinful beyond all measure. So in other words... Again, the law is not the problem. The law simply revealed that there was a problem. And that is uh, where Paul brings us to in this text. As we read, this is where Paul gets really personal and honest. It's a bit like opening up his journal. It's a bit like opening up Paul's journal. Um, He examines his life. and, And let's just walk through this. Here's the thing that Paul sees as he examines his life. He says... For I do not understand my own actions. For for I do not do what I want, and I do the very thing I hate. Church, have you been there? Can you relate to this? Um, Have you ever been to a place where you look at your life and you say, Justin, you're a bonehead. This is Paul saying, Paul, you're a bonehead. I don't get it. I don't understand. I do not understand my own actions. What I do, I don't do what I know I need to do, but I do the things that I don't want to do. There's just a lot going on here. What's wrong with me? That's what Paul asks. Can you relate? What is wrong with me? At the heart of all of this, Paul is highlighting a distinct human problem that we all share. He's, he's bringing out a problem that there is often this disconnect. And you can probably relate to this. Follow with me. Think of your life. There's often a disconnect between who you want to be and your actions. There's this disconnect, and it is frustrating. It is frustrating and confusing. One of the most common examples that I can give is the, the example of health and uh, physical health. Uh, If you've ever been on a diet or set a health goal, you know what I'm talking about. 
where uh, uh, maybe, uh, so most of us, when we set these goals, we know what we're supposed to be doing. Like, eat more veggies, eat less donuts. <laughs> Sleep better, move more. Like, these are pretty basic we know, we know this. We, we know what we should be doing. And many of us will take this next step and we will make plans. The tomorrow plans. Well, tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm gonna get up early. Tomorrow I'm gonna go for a walk. Tomorrow I'm gonna eat a healthy breakfast. Tomorrow, fill in the blank. Tomorrow. And then for many of us, you know what happens? Tomorrow comes. And Man, it was hard to get up. So we sleep in a little bit. We miss the walk and we grab a donut. And then all of a sudden, after we pounded it back, we say, what did I just do? What is going on with me? The things I don't want to do, I do them. And the things I do want to do, I don't do it. What is wrong with me? What is going on? If you've ever felt like this, you know it's more than just diet. It's more than just diet. It, 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 it can kind of apply to everything in our lives where there is a disconnect that Paul is getting us to see between who we want to be, your values, your beliefs, and then over here, your actions and your inactions. There's a disconnect, and that disconnect is confusing. It's, it's frustrating, and, and it's... One thing to feel this about the donut. And I don't want to downplay that. But Paul is pushing us deeper to show us that that problem lies deep in our soul. It lies deep in our soul, in our very, in our spirit, in our deepest identity. Where there is a misalignment, church, there is confusion and pain. And that's why we relate to this, I think, so well. So Paul says, I don't understand my own actions. I do what I don't want to. I don't do what I, I need to. And, and so let's get real specific here. What Paul is saying here is he says, I don't understand. Because on the one hand, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I know what God has done. I know what he has made me. I know what he has called me to be. I know this on this hand. Yet, I still live in a fallen world. I'm still a fallen human. I'm a sinner saved by grace, yes, but I am confronted with my sin and I keep doing and thinking and believing all the things the very things that I don't want to do to think or to believe. On the one hand, I am a saint. And on the other hand, I'm a sinner. What is going on? Let me ask you again. Church, are you a saint or are you a sinner? Are you a saint or are you a sinner? Um, let me give you an example. I love cycling, so I'm going to use this as my example. Um, to help me see this. So there's a difference, church, between... Going on a ride and being a cyclist. And it's not just cycling. There's a difference between going on a run and being a runner. Cooking and being a cook. Writing and being a writer. There's a difference. There's a difference. See, the, the former focuses on an action while well, the latter focuses on an identity. 
going on a ride is an action that you take. You, you, you grab a bike, get a helmet, that's important. You get on and you go, that's going on a bike ride. That's one thing. But when you make the proclamation over yourself, I'm a cyclist, there's something a little bit deeper there. Do you feel that? There's something a little bit deeper here. You're not only proclaiming what you're about to do, the single action that you're about to do. You are pro- proclaiming an identity over yourself. Now, sure, of course, as a cyclist, you do ride, right? There's no question. It's a part of that. But it is more. It is much deeper than that. You are speaking to who you are. It's an identity claim. The question I started with, are you a sinner or are you a saint? Um, The way you answer that question greatly depends on how you understand this. Greatly depends on how you understand this. If you answer this question, if you view this question being about just your actions, the thing you did or the thing you do, then it's kind of a mixed bag. You do some saintly things and you do some, some sinful things. But by and large, I think I know all of us enough to say, the scales tip over here, we're, we're sinners. I think that's why, for those of you who, when you saw that question, you said, I'm a sinner, that's what you're thinking of. You're thinking of those, those actions as a whole, I'm no saint, I am a sinner. And the Bible, guess what, it says that about you. The Bible says that you are fallen, that you are a sinner in need of God's grace. You cannot save yourself. The Bible says this about you. And so if you answer this question based on what you do, your actions, it's going to lead you to answer it one way. But if you read that question and and if you take that question to be a question dealing with who you are at your core identity, then you're going to understand this question a little deeper, a little differently. See, the Bible also tells you that you are a new creation. The old passed away, the the new, that you are new. The Bible tells us that sin no longer reigns, that victory is in Christ. The Bible tells you this. The Bible tells you that you're a child of God, a child of God, not a child of the world, a child of God, forgiven, redeemed, adopted, chosen, saved, justified, set apart. That's who you are. That's your Identity. You are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and you, as we will see in a couple weeks, are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. That is who you are at the core. You are a saint. So the way we see this is, is really, really important. Um, think about this. I want to show you this. If you could put on the slide that I showed last week, we talked about Paul's testimony that he shared. So sometimes we think we go from heathen to child of God and heathen, Jesus, child of God. But what Paul shared was a little bit of a different trajectory. We have heathen to well-behaved heathen, as I called it, then Jesus, and then child of God. This is kind of Paul's um, trajectory here. So um, right here, this blue dot in the middle, well-behaved heathen. That is the sinner who is acting saintly. If you just follow my logic, hopefully this will make sense. This is a sinner who is acting saintly, looking the part, doing what he needs to do. Um, Like we said last week, though, the core identity has not changed. 
Only the behaviors. Heart, no. Behaviors, yes. The core identity has not changed. And there is absolutely no fundamental difference between these two. They are the same. At the core, their identity is the same. No difference. A heathen and a well-behaved heathen are heathens. Okay? That's, that's the logic. Now, what Paul is sharing here in this text is over here as a child of God. What happens when the child of God sins? What, what happens when the saint fails? And what happens, church, when there is an alignment issue? When your identity does not match your actions? What happens there when you step back and you go, I don't understand my own actions. I do what I don't want to do. And I don't do what I know I need to do. See, when sinners sin and when saints are saintly, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. But in Paul's, Paul's testimony, we go from well-behaved sinners to now a saint who struggles with sin. Do you see that? The reason I love this text is because it's so, it's so relatable. Have you been there? And I, wanna, I want you to notice something else with me here. In verse 17, it says, For now it is no longer I who do it, but that nasty sin that dwells, that dwells within me. Um, he goes on, he says, For I, I have the desire to do what is right, just not the ability to carry it out. He even says it again. Now, if I, I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, Paul says, but that sin, he says it again, that dwells within me. There is so much here. I want to make one clarification, and then I want to kind of pull out one of the foundational Christian doctrines from this. Um, first, the clarification. When Paul says, it is no longer me who does it, it's that nasty sin, Please don't hear that as an excuse. Like, please don't hear that as Paul giving an excuse for his sin. In other words, Paul is not pulling an Adam here. You remember what happened in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve, when they first sinned, and, and God calls them out? What does Adam say? Do you remember? It wasn't me. It was that woman you gave me. Not man's most shining moment. It, it just, not, not great. Blame shifting at its worst right at the beginning. Listen, Paul's not trying to do that. Paul is not saying, you know what? It's not me. It's that sin. It's that sin. I'm not accountable to that. It's that sin that's in me. The sin made me do it. No, Paul's not doing that. Paul's not pulling an atom here. Instead, what Paul is doing is he is taking us to identity. What he is saying is, my identity is a child of God. I am a saint. I am a new creation in Jesus. This is me. This sin is dwelling in me, but it is not who I am. It does not define me. It does not own me. And why is that true? Because Paul says, I have new ownership. 
I have new ownership. So clarification here. This is not Paul making an excuse. Instead, this is a reference right back to who Paul is, his identity in Jesus. Now, one more thing is Paul makes this huge statement, a theological statement that we all need to wrap our minds around. He, he, he says, um, I know, he says that nothing good Nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. I, I, I uh, have the desire to do what is right, but, but not the ability to carry it out. Church, this whole idea is, has been called a couple things in church history. One is total depravity and um, total inability. Both of these things we see here. See, total depravity says that, that my flesh on my own, I cannot be good. I cannot save myself. That no one can. No one at any time in human history has, has been righteous in their flesh. Not, not one. Not only that, we can't even choose, we don't even choose God first. We, we're not even the first mover. If God didn't love us, we would not love him. Scripture says you're a sinner, that you're content in that, and you're incapable of goodness in yourself. This is total and complete depravity. And, and I want you to hear me. No matter what uh, religious, Christian religious background you come from, what denomination, what spectrum of Christianity, we all share that view. That is a distinctly Christian belief. Distinctly Christian belief, no matter your tradition, that we are sinners and we are not righteous and cannot be in and of ourselves. More than that, Paul brings us to, he says, uh, I don't even have, I might know what is right. I just can't carry, that, carry it out. That is this idea of complete inability. The gospel is not, you can do it. Paul is very clear here. The gospel is, you can't do it. You, you cannot do it. But Jesus did. And Jesus is doing it in and through you. That is the gospel. It's not a message of you can do it. It never has been. It never will be. There will never be a heathen who is well-behaved enough to leap over to child. It doesn't happen. It's never happened. Not even the Apostle Paul, by the way. And so listen to what Paul adds to this, verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war, listen to that language, against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Uh, This is an incredible testimony and warning to us. That even in our attempts and even in our desires for good, to do good things, that the enemy seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I grew up playing soccer as a kid. I loved it. I'm one of three in San Antonio that enjoys soccer, it seems like sometimes. It's like soccer and baseball. They just get ignored here. Anyway, um, I grew up playing soccer. Loved it. And there's an old saying in, in, uh, there was an old understanding in soccer that a team 
is the most vulnerable right after they score or right after they attack. A team is the most vulnerable. They are at their most vulnerable when they attack or when they score. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that. That, you know, in soccer, they, we, we like to celebrate pretty elaborately. So I can't tell you how many times you go from score, celebration, where shirts are flying, and then, like, a couple minutes later, the equalizer goes in. It's because you're most vulnerable right after you attack or right after um, you score. I'm reminded that, that of this when I see this text, that it's often in, our, in our, um, our attempts to do good, our wins, it's often right there that evil is right there to rain on our parade. It's, it's, it's often right there. And so what does Paul use? What language does he use? He uses battle language. He uses war language. We have a battle in us. Do you realize that, church? We are at war. Do you realize that you are at war? Before Jesus, before Christ, we were children of the world. We were of the world and evil reigned. But now, because of Jesus, we are children of God. We have a new identity. And now, that evil that we once snuggled up to is now no longer at home. That evil is now no longer at, in its place. Instead, it's hostile. It's, it's, it's war. So let me, let me bring all of this together. The Christian life church, the, the Christian life is the life of a saint who wages war against sin. That's the Christian life. The, the Christian life is, is not that you and I are, are free from sin. That will be the case one day. When you see Jesus face to face, we're free from sin. But church, right now, the Christian life is the life where sin is no longer at home in you. The Christian life is the life where sin is now out of place. It just doesn't, doesn't match. It's not, it's not at home. It's unwanted. More than that, it's not just passive. The Christian life is the life that's at war with it. We wage war against the sin. Not only the sins out there in the world, Sometimes we as Christians, we're good at that. We're good at seeing all the sin out there and saying, shame, coming down. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking first and foremost about the we wage war against the sin in our own hearts. We wage war first here. See, sin has been defeated through Jesus. One day, it will be eradicated through Jesus. Completely. But until then, we are saints at war. At war with the flesh and until then, the Christian life will be filled with moments exactly like this in our text. Moments of frustration when we do what we don't want to do, when we fail to do what we know we should do. Moments when we struggle with alignment between who we are and between what we do. Moments when we struggle with alignment between our identity and our actions, there will be a struggle. This will be your struggle, Christian. Brother and sister, this will be your struggle until the day when you see Jesus face to face. 
Before I get into the last verse, though, I want to share something that kind of broke my heart this week as I was processing this and, and working through this text. Um, what happens, church, when we don't share? We don't relate to Paul's struggle. What happens when we don't relate to it? See, you see here... Paul's testimony, his struggle is based really on two things. One is the fact that he is not perfect, that total depravity thing, um, the fact that he sins, and then two, the fact that he doesn't desire to sin. His struggle is based on those two things being true. Sounds really simplistic, but what happens when we today do not share that same struggle because we're not as bothered by sin, we're comfortable with it? We don't really care if we do the things we don't want to do. It's fine. It works out in the end. What happens when that is our mind? Going back to the diet analogy, what happens when you no longer feel any guilt at all for the donut? When there's no conviction, there's just apathy, the truth is you could read this testimony from Paul, and if you're honest, not relate to it at all. You do what you want to do. And when you don't do what you don't want to do, that's fine. Let me just speak directly here. You, you, you might be here. You might be watching this, listening to this, and you might not have any desire for righteousness or God's holiness. And if that is the case, you will not be able to relate to Paul's words, and no amount of religious motions will change that. The only remedy is, is Christ. You need a new heart. You need a heart that feels and desires him. And Christ alone can do this and has promised to do this. If you're here and as, you, as we walked through this, you realize I don't share that same frustration with Paul. I, just, I, I don't feel it. I don't share that frustration the only remedy is, is Jesus. There's an old saying that you can lead a horse to the water, but you cannot make him drink. And um, my primary responsibility as your pastor is to lead you to the water every single chance that I can, I can take. To lead you to the water. To lead you to that water. But it is God's role to make you thirsty and it is God's role to give you drink. So if that's you and you are thirsty this morning for that, praise God for that. Come to Jesus. He's offered to give you drink. You'll never thirst again. If you believe in him with your heart, confess him with your mouth, you will be saved, as Scripture says. He will give you a drink that will satisfy you perfect. He will give you a new heart where you feel again. Listen how Paul ends this, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, Paul's verdict, after all of this, what does he say about himself? Wretched. This is, I, I'm wretched. Paul's answer is simply and only Jesus Christ, only the gospel. Thanks be to Jesus, he says. Church, this is the Christian life. 
This is the Christian life. We are children of God. We are new creations. We are in Jesus, justified, forgiven. We are given a new identity. Church, you in Christ are a saint. That is who you are. And yet, we battle. We battle against our flesh still. still. We put it to death daily. We're being sanctified daily. I want to I end uh, today with an analogy. Um, this did not come from me. This actually, after our service last week, I um, was talking to some people, and uh, um, she shared with me this analogy that I couldn't shake. It is so beautiful, and it just opened my eye. It just resonated with me, and I, I have to share it. Um, before Jesus... Life was like floating down a river, a lazy river, just, just floating. Didn't take much effort. You, I was there. I was, I was floating down the river. I was letting the currents take me where the currents take me. And, and I didn't know where the, I didn't know where it was leading. I didn't really care, but everyone else around me was cruising right along with me, just floating, cruising, and off we were going. Then, 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 as I came to Jesus, my eyes were open. I began to realize this river leading to disaster, but here's what happened. As my eyes were opened, I stood up. I stood up. Right there in that water, I stood up. And, and my feet were on the ground. And you, you, you know for the first time what I noticed. Whereas I was used to the water pushing me, for the first time I felt the water pushing against me. For the first time, I felt that current. I, I felt that resistance. Brothers and sisters, you and I, we are going to feel resistance in this life. And if you don't, chances are you're still floating. Chances are you're still floating. Chances are you're not standing. Saints, we are going to wrestle. We are going to wrestle in this life. It's a part of standing up. So here's what we do. We stand. We stand together. And when we slip, we stand back up and we face those currents again. And when our brothers and sisters slip, we help them up. And we stand together against the currents. Against the currents. And we stand in the hope that one day there will no longer be these currents pushing against us. One day the wrestling will be over, but church, until then, brothers and sisters, we stand. We stand. Would you pray with me? God, your word is so convicting. Would you forgive me? Would you forgive us as we have floated?
And would you give us courage to stand? Knowing that as we face the, the, the push of the current, it, that it's our call to stand, nevertheless. God, I, I, I pray for my brothers and sisters who today are trying to stand. I pray that you would give them courage, strength, and brothers and sisters who can pick them up as they fall. I also pray for my brothers and sisters who are tired. Would you be their strength today? I also pray for those who are floating. I pray that you would open their eyes and call them to stand. God, would you do this? And as you do, we give you all glory. It is your word that calls us to stand. It is your presence that is there with us as we stand. It is your power that strengthens us as we stand. And it's your hope that keeps us looking to the day when the wrestle, the fight will be over. So Lord, we give you praise. We boast in you and you alone. In Jesus' name.